What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode. This one, man, this is a good episode. I really love this conversation. It's something that I haven't touched on enough on this podcast, and it's something that's, you know, been something that I've been reluctant to talk about in my own life, which is addiction, substance abuse, and my own personal struggle. And I'm getting closer. You can check out episode 420 for some information about that, but this information will give you a little more insight into my life, and as I feel more comfortable opening up about it, I will open up more about it, but man, Dave Beach, who's on this episode, has opened up so much about it, and uh, I'm starting this new chapter, this new season here on the podcast about living forward. Of course, creating superheroes has been a a great journey in this podcast, but this whole living forward concept is going to be a a whole new piece to the puzzle, and that's what Dave does. Dave lives forward. For a long time, he lived in the past. He lived in uh, cycles and patterns uh, that were not good for him, and he finally broke free, and I think that's what we all need to do, and the only way to do that is to live forward, to not to use the past as wisdom, not as uh, a crutch to fall back on, and uh, as I sit here talking to you about that, let me just say this, and I say this with every episode. You know, if you listen to this, if you like what I'm talking about, if you like the content on here, please uh, review, or yeah, review. Please like, subscribe, leave a comment, whatever platform you're on, if you're able to do that. Um, you know, make, make sure that you're telling friends about this. If you get value out of it, let me know what the value is, why you got value, uh, where you got value in one of these episodes. Uh, leave a, a review, leave a rating on whatever platform that you're on, because just like any other podcast, it's trying to send a good message and help people. I just want this to reach the right people. I want the right right people to hear these messages and to be affected by them if they, they need that in their life. And sometimes you don't even know what you need in your life until it hits you across the head. So maybe something in here will hit you across the head as it has done for me. And this episode is one of those episodes for sure. Just try to remember, like we have around you know, 80,000 thoughts per day. A lot of those thoughts are old, repeating thoughts. We think the same things again and again and again, day after day. The only way to change, because with thinking those same thoughts every day, how can you ever change? It's impossible. The only way to change is to get new, better thoughts, a new uh, basic concept for your life inside of your head, okay? And uh, there's many different ways to do that, but the best way is through learning, for gro- through growing and, and finding other people who've already had success and, and following their success, whether that's in person, whether that's online, uh, whether that's through books or whatever that might be. Try to find that path for yourself. But man, let me hit this real quick. Art for Recovery, if you're listening to this before Sunday, March 29th of 2020, if you're in the uh, central Pennsylvania area, this is going to be an amazing event, Dave Beach's event, uh, this this video that he's put together, his business, Fox Chapel Iron, uh, Yazo, the Yazo Group from Angie Yazolaitis, who's been on this podcast in the past, and Source Known, which is Draper Brown, Draper and his girlfriend Amanda Palmieri have also been on this podcast in the past, so... I've got some family ties going on here with this episode. Art for Recovery. It's a live viewing party uh, celebrating recovery, sharing hope. And uh, this is like a a docu-series they put together. Meet the families, the organizations, and the artists who were part of this amazing journey. This is the free event, open to the public. All donations are going to go to Arts Altoona and Circle of Hope. Okay, So this is going to be Art for Recovery. Sunday, March 29th, 6 until 8 p.m. at the Arts Altoona Center, 2212 6th Avenue in Altoona. I think I've done enough talking. Let's let Dave do the talking here um, and 
will tell his story. I apologize. The audio quality of this interview is not uh, up to my standards of audio nerdology, uh, but it's definitely still, uh, you know, it's not about how good it sounds. It's about how good the message is. Uh, Why am I warning you about that? It's excellent. Let's check it out. Let's get into it. Let's go. This is Rob Z Radio. Welcome, everybody, to the show. Dave Beach is here from Fox Chapel Ironworks. Dave, thank you for being here. No, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, my friend. So uh, today on the show, I think this is going to be a really exciting episode. I think a lot of people are going to get a lot out of this because uh, you have a big event coming up uh, at the end of March. And we're going to talk about that. But I think before we jump into what that event is all about, if people don't know who you are, Give a little background into, into who you are and, and what you do and what brought you to here today. Uh, Fox Chapel Ironworks is ornamental ironwork as well as artistic ironwork. Uh, we also teach students how to weld, how to, to do iron artwork and uh, make things functional as well. You know, railings, gates, all that kind of stuff. But uh, it's a very unique shop. But the path. Uh, you know, after a corporate executive uh, career in a couple companies, I have an MBA and all that uh, management uh, and those pressures, stresses and life events, uh, found myself uh, basically an alcoholic. And part of what's coming up here at the end of the month is a series we did called Art for Recovery because of how much support and help I was given to turn some pretty tough situations around. And uh the way I stay sober is to give it back. So that's what Art for Recovery is about. And so going back like to the early parts of your of your career, before you transitioned to what you're doing now, how long were you in the corporate world for? Like how long was that going on? What, what were you doing exactly? And, and what drove you out of that world into what you're doing now? So in 1990, I graduated uh, at West Virginia University and started with Marriott Corporation. Uh, down in Morgantown, but for the next three years, I was with a 10,000 employee company. I was in the services division, but it saw me managing uh, facilities that did commercial linen processing, food service, housekeeping for large institutions, mainly hospitals. But I was in Miami, Florida for years, in Beaumont, Texas a year. I was over in Chattanooga, Tennessee, Pine Bluff, Arkansas, Chicago. Jeez. So I'm traveling around and I'm moving my way right up through the, the chain of command. But you had to get a U-Haul every six months to keep moving up. So okay. I'm from Roaring Spring, you know, Cowtown and downtown Chicago. And I it was great to visit, but you didn't want to live there. <laughs> At least I didn't. So I came back home and... Uh, uh, after a few months, I started with New Enterprise Stone and Lime and uh, 3,000 employees, 500, 500 million a year in revenues. Started out in a baseline uh, computer position trying to implement maintenance systems uh, for their big repair shops, for their big mining equipment. My dad was a machinist mechanic, really figured out kind of guy, self-taught welder, self-taught machinist, just an amazing mind. And I'd always done that stuff. So I knew the equipment. But I was also, you know, a uh, background of process and, and stuff. So it was it was implementing a computer system, but I wasn't a computer guy. Thirteen years later, I was the director of IT for them with 45 people in their IT department. We had a mainframe, 55 Windows servers, Cisco IP telephony, IP fax, IP video, 
We were doing polycom video across four locations where they were spread out in different quarries and stuff, the home offices. So it's kind of crazy the path that it went, but I became a director of IT and wasn't a computer major, but a uh, great company to work for. But my personal life, I was finding myself drinking more. Uh, had nothing to do with my work, had nothing to do with the company I worked for. It was just where my life was going. Part of it was my marital situation and, uh, you know, changes over time. Uh, there's nobody at fault here. I was the one choosing to just drink with how I felt. And uh, it, it progressed. It wasn't always a problem. For 25 years, I always drank. I was always a partier, probably from teenage on. That's what we did. But it was an inch by inch thing. And by the last year or two of my work at Enterprise Stone Lime, I was I was getting out of control. So was that happening before you went to New Enterprise? Or was it when you came back home, all that kind of began? Or is it something you had like under control for a long time and then started to... Uh, it was something I could, I wouldn't say I could take or leave alcohol, but it was always there on weekends, any kind of big event or any kind of just major change in life, there was usually alcohol around. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't always in trouble when I drank, but if I was in trouble, I was probably drinking. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, I was just having some heart pain with my marriage and I was also making some Four decisions that were under the influence of alcohol and it kind of threw me off because I'd wake up and realize a decision I made whether it was something you know uh, a spend you know buy a new vehicle whatever and I had done it under the influence and then it's like oh my didn't even I mean, realize he did it kind of kind of yeah and uh, instead of saying enough's enough I I almost, uh, for a year or two there, it just kept feeding on itself. I would almost go into a little bit of a panic with it, which would lead to more drinking, which would lead to more bad decisions, which would lead to more drinking. I wasn't backing away from the problem. Mm -hmm. It was almost manifesting itself and getting worse and worse because I was like, I can't believe I did this, you know. And it wasn't like I was going out and hurting somebody or criminal behavior. It was just decisions about things in life. And I'm like, this isn't me. That isn't what I do. And it just kept feeding itself. It was crazy. Alcohol is crazy like that because it's the it's the one legal drug that you can kind of go anywhere and get, sure. and it's very easy to to obtain. Mm -hmm. So we don't really look at it in that way. I think, or at least a lot of people don't. I know for myself personally, I've, I I got I guess I got kind of lucky that my body doesn't agree with alcohol. It like just re almost rejects it. So. Um, if I would get, you know, not that I haven't drank many times because I have, and I probably was off the rails for a little while when I was in my early 20s, but um, I would always just fall asleep. I got lucky enough to where it doesn't, I don't black out, I just pass out, which I think saved me from a lot of disasters. <laughs> <laughs> but on the other hand, you know, there's, there's plenty of people that are just like you that fall into that trap, and it's uh, it's not something you consciously try to do, right? It's not something you're obviously moving towards it just kind of nah. builds on itself over the years no nah, like i said it was kind of inch by inch you know in, in hindsight's 2020 it was a couple of years sober that i was able to actually look clearly back over time and see where i crossed lines from a hard partier to a problem drinker to a functioning alcoholic to an alcoholic and but i couldn't have told you those things you know, the first year I was sober, it was kind of getting some distance from it and really getting part of my life back together that it was like, now I see where some of this was going south. And I really, 
things ramped up, to, you know, not for the better, for the worse. Mm -hmm. And so the American dream, right? You have a great job. You're making yeah. good money. Yeah. Uh, you've got a team and everything that seems like people would want. Yeah. In the corporate world, that sort of life. Absolutely. And that's what, well, you said that combined with some, some personal stuff going on in your life drove you to that level. What do you say to somebody who's in that world that, that you were in where they've got a great job, they're making good money, but things are kind of coming off the rails. They're not happy. They're not satisfied. But how do they get away from that when the money's so good, when the success to everybody else seems so, so great? It's a, that's a tough one to answer because for me, it took consequences. And I don't wish that on anybody. I wish more people could find true sobriety. And many of the people that are, are I'm involved with in my sober life that, that went through some of the, the stuff I did, did not need to lose things to, to embrace sobriety. I'm a person that I have to learn from painful lessons. I've always been a knucklehead that way. <laughs> hard-headed. Yeah, it's very hard-headed and determined. Though. You put a goal in front of me, I get it. And, right. uh, you know, I didn't know if I'd make it through grad school. I got it. I didn't know if I'd ever work for a big company. There I was with Marriott and a great company like New Enterprise. I mean, I can achieve those goals. But also on the downside is I don't listen or see some of the own flags in my own life that are coming up. I'm just blown by them because I, I guess I think I got this figured out and it's going to be okay. I've always made it through everything else. And it's like I couldn't see the flags even though they were right in front of me. What was the that point? When you realize, oh, boy, this is, I got to get out of this. Well, I wrecked a company car one night under the influence and got a slap on the hand. And my company was basically taking it away for a year and then going to give it back. They loved me. I did great work for them. They didn't want to lose me. It wasn't like they were looking for any reason to get rid of me. It was kind of surprised to everybody that this happened. It was probably the first public awareness of what was already going on by me mm -hmm. privately. And then uh, within four months, I couldn't get this thing under control. And I had wrecked and totaled my own car and got a DUI. So in the rehab, I go. And what, what age were you at that point, like when that all kind of happened? I was 39. Okay. It seems 39. like there's something about, if you, if, and, and, you know, you and I have talked on the phone, like I've gone through a lot of this, not to the, I don't think the level that, that you have, but I've definitely been struggling with things throughout my life with with addictions and, and problems like that. And it seems like your 30s, something hits ahead in like the mid to late 30s. And I don't know if that's the case for everybody, but it seems like you, you can have a handle on something for a long time. But then uh, maybe it just reaches a point where what was fun just isn't fun anymore. And what used to be harmless is now creeping into every part of your life and affecting everything and at least for me i wonder if you feel this way as i tried to achieve more i could feel like these things that were popping up in my life were holding me back they were kind of like a blockade that was put up and if i can't get past that blockade i'm not going to be able to go to the next level because um you know how much of your mental energy is put into that addiction and that, that's something that i've kind of clung to it's like wow the mental energy the time i put into thinking about these things is keeping all of this, all the stuff I want to create, all these things I want to do. Um, it's keeping me from getting to those because half of my mental space is taken up with this stuff that I just can't get off my mind. Do you kind of feel that way? Yeah. Uh, I think for me, uh, getting to that 
upper rung of where I wanted to go in my career. You know, after I think I was, I went through four or five promotions uh, over years to get to that level. When I got there, I don't know if I felt as happy or comfortable with it as what I expected it to be. You know, you think it's going to be the everything. That's why you did this and you worked so hard. I was actually better as the second guy, you know, have somebody else be the leader of that department and report to the ownership. And it had nothing to do with the ownership. It had nothing to do with the position. It's how I reacted to it and interpreted myself. I liked being that guy that was helping out the big boss and making stuff happen almost a little behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. And it was nice to get, you know, patted on the back. It was nice to get some recognition for truly doing some nice work and good work. But when I got to the top, I almost felt like I was exposed or something. And I felt like total responsibility. And every decision I was making, I was questioning myself. And it's like, am I really doing the right leadership? It was crazy. Mm. I have the skills. I have the ability. But I was questioning everything about myself. Yeah. It's a self-sabotage kind of thing. Sure. Like that you're not worthy enough to be at the place where you're at. Yeah. And that's, I think anybody who, well, maybe not anybody, but a lot of people who achieve and get to higher and higher levels. Uh, you almost feel like you don't deserve to be there, or, or your yeah, or the the, uh, the basic concept you have for who you are does not match up with that position that you're at. And I've experienced that myself a couple of different times, where I get these opportunities, and I'll I've squandered a couple of them because looking back on it, there's no reason why I squandered it besides the fact that mentally, from the framework of like what my life has been, I don't deserve to be there. And I feel like we tell ourselves that story a lot and um, without taking the time to actually objectively look at it, you never see it. You don't recognize that's what it is. That's at least what I've experienced. I don't want to speak for you, but that's kind of what I've noticed in myself is like, wow, these these opportunities come up and this is a, a big opportunity or a big chance. And I'll somehow sabotage it to where it doesn't happen, like never refer- returning a phone call or never scheduling the meeting or whatever it is it's like oh okay why am i doing that there's a reason why uh but if we don't take the time to look at it we won't figure it out right did that i guess in in your experience was that a a sign of like you get to that level now you're in charge now you feel like you're exposed so that ramped up the drinking that ramped up uh everything else partly and i think i might have been too young for uh or, um, let's say lack of maturity maybe not too young but my my maturity level wasn't where it needed to be to just settle in with it and go with what i knew was i knew what i was doing you know i i had the skills i had the abilities i had the confidence of my team i had been there for years so it wasn't like i was just thrown into it but uh i don't know that i was mature enough yet to do that i just still did good work it was just what was going on in my own mind what I was feeling mm-hmm. more than anything. So to not feel that, you know, I was drinking even more. But also uh, uh, a relationship not going as, you know, my marriage not going quite as well as I was hoping it would. Mm. You could say the drinking is what caused that. I was drinking because of how the relationship was going. I should have gotten. Then they start to play off of each other, right? They start right. to like roll into a. You can't tell which is the chicken or the egg. Yeah, you just don't know. And from the outside, you would think we divorced because of alcoholism, because of how it kind of happened. You know, that everything kind of came to a head, and there was an implosion in my life. You know, I I ended up leaving New Enterprise Stone. I was I was fired basically, mm. 
90 days out of that rehab I got into after I'd gotten my DUI. I was sober for 90 days, trying to get my life back together quickly. You know, I'm in a little bit of a panic mode here. Still have my job, and they're doing everything they can to help me and support me. But I started drinking again. You know, here's a company that gave me three strikes. And, you know, I can't expect them to allow other employees to look at this situation and do anything else, but we got to let you go. Mm-hmm. You know, I felt I, to this day, I, I feel gratitude towards that company. Yeah, seems like they, they tried everything they could to. Yes, they did. Absolutely. And it wasn't because they legally had, it wasn't anything like that. We, we were great fit, but I was, I was the one imploding and right. we had to cut the cord. So anyway, the way the art business was uh, kind of started was right at that time. I had been doing art designs, but in 2006, whenever uh, I kind of went out on my own, you know, divorce is now here. Uh, major corporate job, now gone. And I went back to my father's garage and machine shop, which I'd always been working in, in the evenings, weekends, helping him out, as well as doing my artwork. I kind of just went back to it and had to get my act together, if you, for lack of better words. Well, and speaking of that artwork, like how was that something that you had been doing since you were little? That's something you had a passion for, like whenever you were a teenager. Where did that come from, do you think? Or what, what stage of your life did that? taking the ironwork and the artwork and starting to merge those together. Where did that come from? Well, my father was always uh, the doer and the maker. My mother was an artist, always doing pottery paintings and everything, but I never really embraced those things so much as I, they just kind of came together. You know, I just did a different spin on what my father was doing. Age 11, to answer your question, first design, I made some candlestick holders in a lathe. They were horrible. <laughs> Heavy as could be. I sent them out to my aunt in Seattle because it was a birthday coming up. She was a really good aunt to me, always giving, remembering me, sending me cards, presents. She lived in Seattle, so she wasn't around, but she was a very thoughtful person. And I came up with the idea of making these uh, candle stick holders. And she has them to this day, but they're horrible. <laughs> but that's kind of the first thing I did creative with metal. But uh, in the early 90s, when I'd come back from Marriott, when I was back in this area, I was really pushing it. I was making some really ornate designs. They weren't the greatest, but I was learning how to manipulate metal and get something that I had already seen in my mind. But in 2006, after that corporate run, it uh, it became probably 50% of my time. I was also working at my dad's machine shop, 50%. He was retired at the time. Uh, I still could not get sober. It took me another year and a half. I had started doing AA. Well, I should say a 12-step program. I had started doing a 12-step program at a rehab and uh, started really looking at what's going on. But uh, took me about a year and a half. I was still still drinking, going to meetings, and starting to understand I was in the right place. I was mm-hmm. hearing my story. I was hearing other people sharing the craziness of the decisions I was making and the mm-hmm. outcomes of my drinking and consequences. You were hearing people tell you the outcomes of what you were doing. I was hearing them tell the exact same pattern of their life that was my life. And it was like, you know, within a couple meetings, I knew I was in the right place. And I felt a a little bit of peace knowing that I wasn't just this goofball freaking nature, whatever, you know, damaged goods, I'm this, I'm that. You know, I, I need 
put away or, you know, those kind of things that go through your mind whenever you really screw up. Um, you know, and it tails losing a 13 year career job that looks like, you know, you should retire from it or, you know, you got everything. How could you screw this up? Mm-hmm. You know, you're really questioning yourself. Yeah. And, uh, anyway, I, I took a year and a half to kind of absorb more of what they were telling me I needed to do if I really wanted to change because I'm resistant to change. You know, I'm already a little bit insecure. I'm explaining it that I like being second in command, not being in command. Right. Uh, you know, I've made poor decisions based uh, under the influence of alcohol because I'm not comfortable with myself. So if I do it under the influence, well, yeah, it just, it's all fine. But And you can blame it on something, too. There's something probably. That's you. probably going on in the back of my mind. Sure. Excuses and all that. But uh, I... Uh, I'm, I'm listening to what they're telling me to do. You know, they want me to get a sponsor. They want me to start uh, reading more. They want me to start coming to meetings more. And I'm, I'm still going to meetings, but I'm not really doing what they're telling me to do if I really want to nip this thing in the bud. Mm-hmm. But I'm also liking what I'm hearing there. And I'm realizing there's a common thread that these people have, and that's they're not drinking and they're happy. Mm-hmm. And I'm not a person that knew how to be happy without drinking. So they have something there that that is cognitively adding up to me, but I'm not ready to best myself in it yet. I'm not ready to put my resources into it. I'm just going there for an hour, feel a little better, get some common ground, and then still go drink. And go back and do what you were doing. Yeah, I didn't know what to do. And That's a process, though, right? I mean, you're not going to go to two classes and and do it. It's going to be a... Right. Process of figuring that out. 25 years of partying, maybe two years of it at the alcoholic level, mm-hmm. don't get fixed in a couple of weeks. Yeah. And I had to learn that. And it's all deep patterns. Yeah. It, it made sense to me, but I also wanted it fixed. Just fix it now. Fix it now. Fix it now. Fix it now. <laughs> Which makes it worse, right? That just kind of yeah. like pushes it harder on you. Cause you put the pressure on yourself. And that's, 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 I've been there plenty of times of like you put that pressure, like I'm done with it it's done now and then it's not done so then now your self-esteem gets beat up a little bit because you haven't finished it i told myself i was going to but i haven't but uh so what was that the 12-step program i'm very curious about it because in aa is it just alcoholics or is it anybody drug users in general um probably you know six when i walked in there was only a handful of people that would tolerate somebody saying they were maybe cross addicted so they were alcoholic but they had also abused script meds or they'd found out you know another vice whether it's pot cocaine whatever yeah a lot of old-timer aas didn't want to hear that but you know here we are 14 years later um there's na products anonymous which is a great program i've attended those meetings as well is that the same thing as aa is there a difference it's not it's not it's not but I, what I found in recovery is whatever works for you. So there are people that are basically substance addicted, not alcohol. You know, whatever it is, they're coming to AA because they like the flavor of AA and the way the meetings are run. And some of the people that come there, they just seem to gel with them for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. But then there's people also that are alcoholic that just seem to like the NA program better. And he's a little younger. It's not as old as AA. Some of the literature is more up to date and not uh, not worded the same way. So some people, you know, it's kind of like whatever flavor works for you. 
And anymore, because addiction and alcoholism are so strong in our society, it's almost mm-hmm. become a norm, mm-hmm. you know, um, yeah. unfortunately. Um, most Either one of those programs really doesn't, I don't think, anymore mind that you maybe aren't a substance abuser, you're an alcoholic, but you just like the flavor of NA's meetings. I think anybody anymore is more of, we're just glad you're here. Right. They see the, an opportunity to help you. Doesn't matter where you're at or what you're doing. This can help. Um, I think that's huge, man, because uh, you know, like you said, it's so commonplace in our society now to be to, to use something. Uh, so you don't think about the fact that I might be addicted. You've always heard the term like functioning alcoholic, right? He's a functioning alcoholic. He mm. can he goes to work, he holds his job, he does the things he needs to do. He has a family, he's married, whatever. But he also drinks in the evening. You know, and might drink to the point where he gets drunk, but nobody would ever know. And nobody's ever like, maybe, no, maybe nobody's ever affected by it. Sure. Except for that person. Uh, and and I find myself in that world as far as like, especially with like pot, where it's uh, it's such an ingrained habit that you start to think of it as, well, this is just what I do, and other people do this too, so it's okay, it's not really a problem. But then whenever you try to stop doing it, your brain can't shut up about it. Your brain's just like, well, when? When are we going to do it again? Where is it? What, what, when's it going to happen? Right. We, I understand that you didn't do it for these three weeks, but we're going to start back up again here real soon, right? And it doesn't stop talking. And that's a real issue. And I, I found myself in that situation where like, that's, that's a real problem. Like, I don't, I don't want my mental state and my mental energy to be, to be all taken up with this thought until I go do the thing that it wants me to do and then I beat myself up about doing the thing that I wanted to stop doing and now I'm doing again you know it's like this ridiculous pattern it's it's, it's exhausting I don't even know what my, what my question is here in this I kind of lost it as I was talking but I think that uh okay what would you say to somebody who is on that path like they're not out of control they're not breaking the law they haven't lost their job or uh, nothing's terrible has happened to them yet but they know they have a pattern they want to break but they haven't taken those steps would you recommend aa or na for them or what would you recommend oh i'd absolutely recommend it if for nothing else to experience it and maybe down the road it maybe it's not their thing maybe they're not wanting to really continue with it or or feel that it's going to help them if nothing else, it plants a seed and it gives you an option. Because what I found is, one thing I didn't talk about already was in 99, I went to an AA meeting. I always say I started in 2006. That's when I regularly was attending meetings. In 99, I went to one meeting. And I didn't want to have anything to do with it. And I white knuckled sobriety for a year. I had had a pretty wild weekend and was in a little bit of a panic. And I basically said, I'm quitting drinking, which I had said 10,000 times already. But I meant it, and I did not drink for a year. And on 365th day, I went out and got a cake. It's like all I did was just not drink. And the same mental thing was going on. When am I going to drink again? Well, I'm going to drink again, but I'm just not drinking for a year. Right. And it was a tough year because I really hadn't done anything to change how I think, how I interact with people, how I handle job stress, how I handle life stress, how I handle ups and downs, my, you know, whatever. I had not really done anything to work on me. So it was not a fun year. So you were just white knuckling it, trying yeah. to get through it, yeah. telling yourself, after a year, I can go back? Yeah. Okay. So seven years later, it's 2006 or six years, whatever. 
I'm in AA for a different reason, and I'm seeing AA very differently. I'm, I'm seeing them as having something I don't have, not a bunch of, you know, whack job, weirdos, losers type thing. I went in there with a lot of ego and pride. Mm -hmm. You know, I was an idiot. And, well, and your your mind would go into it like that because your mind doesn't want to admit that there's anything wrong. And right. those people that are in there have real problems, right? And, and I don't. I don't need to be right. Be I don't need all the help that they need. That that's yeah, sort of. Thing. I was very judgmental How when I went into six. You know, I've had some severe consequences. Mm -hmm. So the whole ego, you know, I've obviously been a little bit smashed here, and I needed it. I really needed it. I didn't understand how my life had gotten that far out of control, how I'd let drinking get that far, but it did. Yeah. And I needed to do something different. And I went in with a very different view. It took a year and a half for me to actually listen to what they were telling me. But I kept going to meetings because I knew there was a common thread there. And I felt like they, they really had something figured out. They just wasn't ready to do the work of it. Mm -hmm. I knew it was going to be hard. Based on what I was hearing every time I went, you know, they talk about doing the steps and a sponsor and the, the amount of meetings and everything. It's like, man, this is going to be very different. But anyway, long and short is I finally got to a point where I was willing to do whatever they told me. And uh, that's when real change started happening. So you were saying about how you had stopped drinking for a year, but you hadn't changed your, your mental habits or your, your, your daily habits, the way you dealt with stress. How did that change when you decided to actually dive in, when you joined the program? What what did change with your with your mental habits or with the way you dealt with stress and things like that? What do they teach you in there to, to handle those things? Um, I wouldn't say it's a teaching process. I'd say it's more of a self-examination and learning process along with a guide. You know, a sponsor is not necessarily what I'd call a teacher. He's a guide. And he's been through this and he had a sponsor that worked him through it. And all he's doing is giving me examples of what he did. And there's other people in the rooms and outside of meetings that I'm going to bounce off of them. What did you do with this certain step? You know, how did you approach this? What did it mean to you? What, how much effort did you put into it? And or you're struggling with something in a certain state. It's, you know, it's about really taking an honest look at yourself. You know, what do you value? What are your true morals? Yeah, you'll say this is your moral value. What are you doing? What are, what are you actually acting on? When nobody's looking, when it's just you and you're making decisions, what are you really doing here? How are you processing it? Is it matching up with your values and what you say? Or is it out of line? You know, you, there's, there's the words you do, there's the thoughts you're thinking, and then there's the actions you take. Are they in line? Because if they're not in line, you're out of balance. Mm -hmm. And sooner or later, if you're a person that does have conscience and you have a decent IQ and you're, you're out in society, you're trying to get through life, that out of line process is going to get you somewhere. Mm -hmm. You're probably going to either go back to what you're abusing or you're going to give up on what you're trying to change about yourself and just say, I don't even want to deal with this. Mm -hmm. You know, there's all kinds of coping tools. You know, you can go from being an alcoholic to just being a whatever gambling yeah. or yeah, you can be you a know. workout a holiday. You can switch the addiction, whatever. You can yeah. be a healthy addiction. You can switch it to, but you still might be in the same problem. So it was, it was a humbling. I needed humbled, you know, and I'm not saying that about everybody that goes to a 12 step program, AA, any, any of these things, smart recovery, Christian recovery. There's so many good programs out there. I found one that worked for me, but um, there's, I'm not even sure where I was going with that. It's, it's about 
self-examination and, and using what has worked for years and years for many people that just had given up. Um, it's amazing how it applies to today's same alcoholic. If you ask me, I've seen it over and over again, that if you really apply yourself to it and you get a sponsor that can help guide you through it and you use the rooms, use the people in there that are willing to talk to you and give you of their time and, and really want to change yourself, you're probably going to come out much better than whenever you walked in. Mm. And uh, there's a funny saying, you know, try it, try it for three months. Try 90 meetings in 90 days. Start actually working on the steps. Ask for a sponsor. And if at the end of 90 days you're not happy, we can refund your misery. Because <laughs> you didn't walk in here happy, joyous, free. You know, I don't know of anybody that walked in a meeting the first time because their life was great. You right, know? Yeah. Obviously, you're walking into one of those places. You hit a wall. You're at a weird Something's going on. Yeah. And there's varying levels of that. You know, I walked in in 99. I still had a good job. I, nobody knew anything was really going on that bad. Yeah. And then I came back in 2006 and I was in the papers and I was working for a major company that many people knew I had gotten fired from. You know, the whole story's different here six years later. Yeah. Now it's out. And I'm thinking it's out, but actually probably for the last two, three years, everybody's seeing that I'm out of control and I'm thinking I have this all still bottled up. You know, that's, right. that's the craziness is you get a couple of years sober, you actually see how many people realize, <laughs> oh, geez, you know. <laughs> yeah, alcohol is a strange uh, drug like that. that uh, yeah. you, I guess because you can get so, um, well, I don't know, some people are different on it, but I I would get so blinded to who I actually was on it. You just act so much differently than you realize you're actually acting. Yeah, you if I'd see like a different person. If smartphones were available back Jeez. in back in the day, right. I who knows how it would have worked out, but I don't think I would associate the fun times mm -hmm. as much as what my mind likes to think. You know, because whenever I get a good taste of myself, that's when it's like, all right, it's <laughs> Got to check time here. It's, you know, I'm thinking one thing. The reality is, I was pretty much a retard. <laughs> but anyway, uh, I there's so many resources that were were given to me that had nothing to do with money or copays or insurance or any of this thing. You know, I've been to psychologists a lot of my life. I went to counseling trying to figure things out, but I kept drinking been to psychiatrists, you know, the real deal, writing scripts. I've been through so many psych meds. I've been to the psych ward. I've been to several rehabs over the years. And what worked for me was a group of people that don't even require you to put a dollar in a basket, but it's suggested, but I give a dollar to the basket. These are people that, that don't even know me. Mm -hmm. And they're giving an hour of their day to come to this thing that, that helps them. Mm -hmm. It's changed their life for a better way. And that seemed to level the playing field for me. And I wasn't necessarily looking for as much of a quick fix through a med or counseling session to just get through this day. It was like, this is a long-term change thing. And these are real people in front of me. And, and they were willing to just talk to me on their own personal time. And that changed it for me. Yeah, that's huge. That somebody actually cares and they've oh, gone through it. And then the phone calls they would take at any hour of the night or just bringing me into their house on a weekend whenever I'm trying to get sober. And I, mm. here's 25 years of drink and now it's a weekend and I'm trying to put this together, but I am so wigged out. Mm. 
you know, this substance that I've carried through everything. I was putting it in front of a job. I was putting it in front of so many things. Yeah. Now I'm removing it, and I'm trying to do this program correctly. But it's early on, and I'm freaked out. Yeah. And they're letting me come to their house. They're talking to me on the phone. Um, they're giving me some suggestions on some things I could do on my own to work through some of this stuff. If I really want to make a change, now's the time to do it. You feeling this pain? Act on it. Learn from it. You know, right. It's do the, the, some the pain is there as a sign. It's not the pain. The pain is actually a good thing. It's yeah. giving you a, a sign. Hey, something's wrong. This is a, a, a warning. Hey, you can fix this. It's kind of pointing it out to you. And oftentimes we uh, we take that that pain or that frustration or whatever that thing is. And we're like, oh, I just want to get rid of it. I just want it to go away. Why, why is it bothering me so much? What's bothering you? Because it's flashing a, a, a red light. Like, hey, something's going wrong here. Let's take a look at what's happening. Absolutely. Um, so let's get to the actual point of why you're here for yeah. Art for Recovery. <laughs> <laughs> so Sunday, March 29th from 6 until 8 p.m. Uh, this is going to be happening. The uh, Art for Recovery live viewing party. And that is happening at... What is the, the venue? Arts Altoona Center, uh, 2212 6th Avenue in Altoona, Pennsylvania, for anybody outside of the area who's listening to this. Now, uh, I knew that you were uh, a part of this. I knew uh, that Draper Brown, Draper, is it Draper Brown? Is that right? Mm -hmm. Was a part of this. Uh, I've seen, seen some of the footage from him when he was putting this together. Talk about this art for recovery, what this means to you, how how this happened, and, and why this happened. I was eight and a half years sober. Uh, life was what I would consider back to a good thing. Um, I'd gotten remarried, uh, had a 16 acre property, was back in the corporate world because in 2008, whenever I was doing the art business and my father passed away from cancer pretty suddenly, um, when 08 hit and the economy tanked, my it was not the time to start an art business, but I continued doing it on the side. But I had to go back to the corporate world, you know, to, to be able to make a living at this point. And uh, anyway, things were looking good and feeling good. So I got myself into a high stress job, but I also had some spine surgeries. I had had accidents uh, years ago where I'd broken some uh, vertebrae and there was rods implanted. And during my drinking years, I had injured it again, rolling a four wheeler on myself. Never did anything with it. It stabilized itself, seemed like it was all right. But anyway, at eight and a half years sober, I was getting nerve sensations down my legs. I ended up in uh, spine surgery in Pittsburgh. It, uh, it failed horribly. The hardware was backing out. I had uh, tubes coming out of my back trying to drain fluids. It was about a year and a half process. I was hunched over. I wasn't able to mountain bike and run like I was always doing. Anyway, I was put on uh, opiates, uh, oxycodone, 10 milligram, four times a day. I managed them, kept it kept it all good and I needed them because these nerve sensations when I say can't sleep and, and pain it was crazy but here I am I'm an alcoholic never been an addict but I'm on these things for a year and a half and the hardware is failing so I end up in another two-day surgery down you're at saying Tom's the hardware is failing like the, what the they bolts were the backing surgery. out with what the surgery was to fix actually failed and I was kinked over like a little old man. There was people that had seen me that for that year and a half. I've always been athletic and such, and it was it was bad. Mm -hmm. I was having a hard time just functioning. 
anyway, I also have a 16-acre property. I'm also back in the corporate world in an even higher pressure job than I had previously had. I'm, I'm a director of engineering now, and I don't have an engineering degree, but it was because of what my father knew and taught me. And anyway, a lot of things started coming together. And uh, as everything's coming together, I'm starting to fall apart internally, and there's some familiar signs going on. Now, I'm still going to AA. I still have a sponsor. I had already worked 12 steps. But what I started doing was ratcheting down the priority level of what I put on my sobriety. Now the job was too important, the property was too important, the spine surgeries were survival, yeah. and AA was there whenever I made the time for it. Right. So I'm on these opiates, and next thing you know, the the marriage isn't going as good. I'm a different person on the opiates. And I'm making choices of, I don't know if I want to be in this marriage still. The property's too much to maintain. The job's too much. My back is killing me. And long story short, I managed to find my way back to a six-pack. And then a six-pack turned into a year of alcoholism again after eight and a half years sober. Now, did, it, did that year of alcoholism get worse than what it was Absolutely. eight years before? It's like you went full throttle. Alcoholism doesn't stop even if you're sober 10 years. If you have the disease of alcoholism, your liver, your GABA receptors in your brain, dopamine levels, the whole physical, mental, spiritual, emotional side of it, it's moving right along in the background. Mm -hmm. And if I pick up again, at least that's what I found. Mm -hmm. And I was told this. But you have the you have those hardwired neural pathways yep. for that. So once it gets back in there, it's like, let's well, go. Baby. When I pick, it was a it was a disaster from pretty much day one, but I stuck with it for a year because I didn't know what else to do. I was so, here I am back, you know, it's even worse than the first round. Here I am back in this train wreck. I don't know how to get through all this mess because I have four big life events hit me and I'm not sober anymore. Hmm. And things are just crashing and burning around me. And uh, anyway, I I had to hit some more hard consequences and I had to, realize what I was doing for those eight and a half years. I had found good sobriety. I had found happiness. I had put so much back together, but I was still missing some things. Mm -hmm. And uh, me being the, the personality I am, I, I forget pain. And I'm in extreme pain. Now, this time it's physical pain, not just emotional and embarrassment type things or remorse or anything. I'm in physical pain mm -hmm. and I'm trying anything to just get my life somewhat back to something. Mm -hmm. And I, I guess that's how I got the door to, you know, the door back open now. Well, the obvious did not help, but I was finding myself now needing those scripts for other than pain. My, my legs settled down after the second surgery. I was in a two day surgery at Johns Hopkins. Everything got fixed, but I, now I was finding myself, I'm stuck on these things mm -hmm. and I want them. So, you know, it was, a, it was a new level to the game. And now I'm drinking too. I mean, it was bad. It was a bad mix. And uh, I guess back to the art for recovery, what happened was an implosion of my own. I ended up three DUIs in 11 months. And thank God nobody was, nobody was killed. Nobody was hurt. You know, I, it was horrible. And uh, Talk about extreme consequences. You know, I saw the inside of a prison. I'm in DUI court. I'm paying huge fines and everything. I had quit the corporate world, but, you know, life was just, it seemed to me like almost over. <laughs> and I had still been going to AA, but I went back in there and it was, it was like, 
it wasn't starting over. It was like in there for a whole different view of what did I miss, you know, and I want to put this back together as hard as this is going to be. Mm -hmm. I know I'm in the right place. And uh, there was counseling, intense outpatient counseling, uh, local facility here that helped me so much. All my friends in AA that some of them knew full well that I went back out for for that year were there to embrace me again and bring me back in and what I learned is sometimes people do have you know a relapse they do have a backslide I don't wish that on anybody either but I needed it to re realize what I was missing for those eight and a half years mm -hmm. and art for recovery was about how many people came around and uh, believed in me. You know, here I am at the same time in my life, and I'm convinced that, you know, I'm damaged. I'm convinced I'm bad. Mm -hmm. And they just kept coming back and helping you. Well, here I am, you know, three years later, and I have an amazing business. My son works for me now. My customers are fantastic. I have true friends that I've made through these last few years. You know, I can't say enough about it's crazy how people would say they never want to be involved with the law. They never want to break laws or anything. And I don't want to break. I've never had a criminal record type thing, but I've broken the law through DUI, you know, obviously. And how good those people are. Stuck by your side through through everything. Is that so? What difference did that make from the time you ran it eight and a half years later, the second time uh, when you went back through? That was such an impact. Like, how did that? I guess, like, how did that change from the first time to the second time? Because it was maybe not the same you. It may have been a different version of you going in there. Uh, but what made it different? How, how did that? That I understood how powerful this thing is. The addiction? And yes. Mm. Yes. I can't say that I felt I had it licked after eight and a half years, but I didn't think it was important enough to make it number one. Mm. You know, it was third or fourth on the list. The work's first, the you know, the property's first, the relationship's first, and then the spine surgeries took over. But, right. you know, I'm still the one that made the decision to drink again. Yeah. And I... I have a newfound respect for how how it can just come right back in and you don't realize it. How it's, for me personally, for myself, I guess I should say, is I need to be aware of who I am and that this alcoholic's never going to change. Mm -hmm. And as long as I keep applying what I was taught to my life, things get good. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing how quickly they can get good if you're listening to what people are telling you about you and you actually do what they say you need to do. I got lazy with it. Mm -hmm. I didn't manage what I had going on. It's like, uh, I don't want to offend anybody, but a, a good way for me to to relate maybe what alcoholism is for me is if, if I'm diagnosed with cancer and I don't take my chemo, there's a good chance that cancer is going to take over. Yeah. And as an alcoholic, I need to do certain things and not let them slide down the scale as a priority, not feel like 
I got this licked or, or even get lazy with it. I got lazy with it, mm -hmm. you know, and I let other priorities become more important. I wasn't taking my chemo, mm -hmm. you know, and it returned with a vengeance. And it was laying there just waiting. It right? was absolutely waiting. And I didn't and, realize how bad I could be. And I guess it always is for everybody. The good and the bad is always laying there waiting. You know what I mean? Like the, you can yeah. you can fall either way. But it, I, for, for some reason, I guess maybe because, because of our survival instincts through uh, genetics, through you know, centuries of of our, of our DNA being passed, we're used to having to survive. So the painful stuff is much easier to, uh, maybe it's much easier to tap into. But all of the good stuff, all the stuff that comes from your heart is always there too. It's always there laying, waiting also. But you have to, you, you kind of have to search for that. One. It's not so, at least for most of us, I think I fall into your category. Like it's not, it's not very hard to search for the bad stuff. It's always, you can find it pretty easy. Yeah. Search for the good stuff. You have to like cultivate that. And once you do, it starts to come more and more. But it's just the, the momentum of it, I guess. Yeah. And I'm actually a positive person. I love humor and, and dry wit and, and just people that are incredibly, you know, creative. And, and you just find, you know, good times with it. And, and anyway... But I'm a doer and I'm a problem solver and my father was that problem solver. So what becomes to me, what some people would say is everyday life becomes just tasks and to-do lists. And next thing you know, it's not that I'm negative. It's just that I've got to get all this stuff down and I become right. so driven and then things are not working out. And, you know, I'm struggling through this and it's like everything starts multiplying and compounding on me because I got to get all these things done today, you know, that right. kind of thing. Yeah. So I built up huge internal stress levels. Mm -hmm. And that's why I can easily say, I'll get to my AA tomorrow night. Right. I'll get to talking to somebody that's important to me that it, I know I need to talk to this for me. AA or not related, just a friend, you know, maybe a lifelong friend. You know, AA taught me some things, not just with AA. It's more of managing my life better mm -hmm. and making connections. Again, I, I'll go back to that what you're thinking, what you're saying, what you're actually doing. When those things aren't lined up for me, I I get unrest inside, even if I don't realize it. So yeah, there's things that I just know now through the two downfalls I've had that I can't get sloppy with this stuff. And it's not like I have to have the same routine every day and I must do this, must do that, or I'm going to drink again. It's that I've become more aware of what those flags were that I'd said about, you know, years ago, right there, and I didn't see them. Mm -hmm. I see the flags much clearer now. I understand them. And there were so many people that helped me pull those things back together. They sound so simple, but it's taken a lifetime of 53 now. It's taken every year of that and all the craziness that I went through to be able to see them clearly now and to know what to do with them. Not every day is good. Right. I'll always think a case of beer is a good idea always <laughs> i will till the day i die but what i what i realize is, is that my mind hop skips over everything bad and yeah. wants to go back to 25 30 years ago of what that case of beer means my mind is right. false yeah that that original a, mind right yeah it, it's a false reality and i say, see it so clearly now you know and it, it's i mean totally absurd to think that if even today i walked out and grabbed that case of beer Anything good kind of come from it. Yeah. I don't get drunk anymore. I can't. I, it just doesn't even work. I don't go anywhere near anything happy. That's a good thing. 
Yeah, right? it is. That's a, a good thing. thing. I think it was removed by divine intervention. I really do. No doubt. Yeah. I, but, yeah. but my mind will still play that game of, oh, man, wouldn't it be good to get in here and start partying? This doesn't work. You know, it's right. craziness. Yeah. But those, those but it's things stuck, it's are now that, very clear. Those first with your buddies or whatever, whatever it was so many years ago, and you think like, man, imagine the, the, the fun times we had getting the case. Well, and I did. Fun. You know, I repeated it. There was plenty of screw-ups and there was plenty of uh, you know getting in trouble type stuff but the consequences were never enough to outweigh the good yeah you know the good was worth every penny for yeah. whatever i was going through right getting in trouble for but you know it, it yeah it was such a process for me and i uh, i i will say that i've witnessed it with other people uh, that i've been associated with through everything i went through you know after that year of that mess so, you know i went through a lot of legal things i went through a lot of counseling and stuff to to get myself back on track and i've seen so many people that basically will say their career this they're a career that they're they're never going to get this right and i would argue you know what i experienced is i learned so much more why never drink again why never take an opiate again i don't know mm -hmm. but i can say in my life, I've had a total of 12 years sober, mm -hmm. and that doesn't go anywhere. Mm -hmm. That doesn't go away, I should say. You've, you've accumulated that time, just like you've accumulated the time that you were an alcoholic. Yeah, and it's not achievement. It's not a trophy. It's that I know, for me, for Dave, nobody else, I don't care what anybody else thinks yeah. as far as that goes. I know those 12 years of my life were sober. Even that one-year white knuckling that I just got through it, I was sober. And there was something going on in there helping me understand even if i started back up you know obviously i had a year that i just forced myself not to drink this isn't good mm -hmm. i wasn't ready to quit mm -hmm. but but you knew you should yeah and it all leads up to the right things um, and, and you know it, the amount of people that have surrounded me and given of, of themselves and i i mean that literally through the probation system, through DUI court, through counseling, through my own AA group, through my family, through my close friends that have never left my side. They all saw what was going on and they offered anything they could, but it was up to me to start listening to what they were saying. Mm -hmm. And I'm just a person that can't open those ears till I get those consequences. <laughs> and now it seems like I don't need consequences. There's such a difference, I guess I should say. There was still something I had missed. And it's like, yeah, I just feel differently about it. I don't have to act off on a bad day now. I don't have to act off on a, a unrest or a, yeah. a tough emotion or, or, you know, maybe one of my art designs, this is what I do now. Maybe one of my art designs doesn't hit with a customer. Maybe I won't even get paid for it. You know, maybe I'm doubting myself that, oh, geez, you know, what happened here? It doesn't need to throw me off, you know. It just doesn't throw me that way anymore. It's yeah. like I'm okay being in my skin. No, I'm an alcoholic. No, I got addicted to drugs. I know I've had two implosions, but today's pretty good. And yeah, that situation that just happened right in front of me, it's not ideal. But I don't need to trash my future over it. Yeah. It's just the day. Right. Yeah. Just living there's a, a great I try to do this. I think I I don't, I don't definitely don't do it every day, but living your life in day tight compartments, like how did each day go? And I try to do that whenever I, whenever I 
do do it and I sit back and I review my day at the end of the day, half the time I'm like, this day wasn't even bad, but I felt bad for sure. some reason. Sure. You know what I mean? There's nothing wrong with this day, but there's something going on with me that was off. And that's usually when you use. That's usually when it's like, well, actually, it's both. It's whenever it's off, whenever it goes really well. It's going really well. I should make it even better. <laughs> there's right? a celebration, and then there's the, I want to feel something different than what I feel right now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 I think something you said a few minutes ago is really important um, about how it not being simple, how it's simple, but it's difficult, right? Because, and, I, and I've heard that from many people, and I've said that many times, like, these, these ideas, these concepts are simple. That doesn't mean they're easy. Like they're really difficult, but they are simple. Like the the, the path, and you were saying about, um, you know, the, the, for a while you don't even, it's like the unknown unknowns. Uh, you don't see the signs, and you don't know what the signs are. You don't even know there are signs. You, you're just floating through, just trying to get through each day. Then you get to the point where you can see the signs, but you don't really act on the signs. But you can see them, but you're kind of like, eh, yeah, yeah, there they are. I'm going to keep moving forward, though. And then maybe you start acting on the signs when you recognize them popping up. And it seems like you've gotten to that point like where you, you didn't see them. Then you started to see them, but you ignored them. Then you were in the phase of sometimes I ignore them. Sometimes I see them. Uh, or I see them either way, but sometimes I, I ignore them. Sometimes I act on them, but then actually taking the steps of acting on them whenever you see them pop up. And like having a good pattern and good momentum in place that makes sure that whenever that thing pops up, Here's a sign popping up. I know exactly what this is. I know what this feels like. I know what it looks like. I know where it leads. I know now also the steps I can take to uh, defeat it or to alleviate it or whatever that word is. And that's huge. I mean, that takes a, that takes a lot of discipline and a lot of understanding. And that's, I think that's just a part of... Um, I often wonder if people who don't have addiction issues, what they... Um, what they see it as from an outside perspective, like what do they see addicts as, as from an outside perspective? And a lot of the time it seems like they can't understand it. They think people are just doing it for fun. Ah, just stop it. Just, you know, stop being a mess. Stop throwing your life away. So, and it's easy to say, well, yeah, just stop doing that. It's like that's impossible to just stop doing it. Like, it's so ingrained in, in who you are. Yeah. And I, I wish, it seems like we're starting to get to the point in our society where people are understanding that more. That you can't just stop. If you could, you would. You know, it's kind of like uh, somebody coming out of the closet as being gay, and somebody saying to them, "Well, you chose to be gay. You know, you you're picking, you're you're choosing to do this. You don't have to do this." Right. And that was an old way of thinking about it. But obviously, that's not true. There's no way that is true because who would ask to bring these things on themselves? Right. Who would ask to bring the judgment and the pain and you know, all of that on themselves. Nobody would really, unless you're like a, unless you're like a, I don't know, what's, what's the word? Mas masochist? Is that the right word? Yeah. <laughs> like, if you're like that kind of person that you want to bring pain on yourself, but like, even then, it seems like a, a once in a while kind of thing. That's something you put yourself through day to day throughout your entire life. Um, so, with Art for Recovery, what can they expect from the event? I mean, obviously, it's a, it's a, it's a documentary of, it's your story and other people's stories, or is it just yours? Yes, it's other people's stories. Uh, I don't want people to focus on me. You already heard some of that story here, if you're still listening and you listen to this from the beginning. But uh, the video work is amazing, and, you know, soundtrack, all that. But 
beyond that, there's a lot more content there as to what I went through, but how many people helped. And my family's in there. So my 84-year-old mother, my next oldest sister, and my two sons, you get to hear them. And uh, what were, you were just saying about people that look at it from the outside, none of them are addicts or alcoholics, mm. my family members. So you get to hear from their side what it was like to live with me and to go through day to day, you know, and, and sleepless nights. Or How was it for you to hear all that? Uh well, years ago, the first time I heard it, my family was in a counseling session and they, my wife had taken a cassette recorder with her and we had also recorded our son's first cry, you know, whenever we were having our babies with it. So the, the recorder was special to me and the tapes we saved, but there was this tape in and I came home one day and I just hit play on it. And it was, it was at the end of my marriage and leaving the enterprise, you know, there in counseling over me and my alcoholism mm. and I got to hear part of that counseling session and what they were saying why I wasn't in the room you know there's one way of people talk to you when you're there and they're talking to you and what they're willing to say about you and what they think of you mm -hmm. and there's whenever he's not there and we're in a paid counseling session and we're all on edge because of what's happening with him so I gotta get to hear a real taste of what it was like to live with me it was I oh I didn't start crying. I felt like the inside door dropped out and my heart sunk. It hit the floor. I mean, I couldn't believe. I can't even imagine. It. Yeah, it was horrid. It was horrid. I hated myself. I absolutely yeah. hated myself. Yeah, that'd be hard. Man. But it wasn't enough to make me stop. It actually made me, I think that very night, probably ran out and grew, you know. <laughs> Grabbed a case of beer just to, oh my God. I drowned it out. Oh, it was horrid. Yeah, but it, I needed to hear that. I needed to hear that. As hard as it was, I needed to hear that. Mm -hmm. So you get to hear my family. And then uh, part four, there's artists that are in the community. I'm in the recovery community. And the amazing talent they have. And their stories about what addiction was like. And what their process was and how it was early, how it was with consequences, how it was with getting sober and what they've learned through all that. You know, you're hearing my kind of blurb here today. Everybody has their story that has their own, how do you want to say it? Yeah, their unique. Eureka, eureka moments or what a sponsor meant to them or the steps or some other things in their life that they were neglecting that just took on whole new meanings once they got once they got sober. I mean, it's a beautiful thing. You know, the, like I said, the fun times that I thought I was having, I've wasted so much of my life. Mm -hmm. It could have been done sober and finding better meaning. And, and uh, I don't know if you feel this way, but I feel everything is purposeful. It's all happening. It's so cliche, but everything's happening for a reason. Yeah, it took everything to get me to this point. But at this point with 53, I wanted to do this series. Angie actually suggested, I got to give her the most of the credit here. Angie has a light. This is an amazing woman. She saw a lot. She saw a lot of my work, you know, the passion I put into it. But she saw a story there that is is again so present in our society that you know we kind of I guess together did it. But she really spearheaded it and mm -hmm. gave me you know the, the voice to say tell your story. Yeah. You know, and for people that have tried to get it right and tried to get it right and tried to get it right 
and keep losing jobs or keep losing marriages or keep finding themselves in legal troubles or just keep finding themselves at the same point in life, even if you didn't get mm -hmm. in trouble, you just keep finding yourself in that same place, addicted to a substance to try and get through the day, you know, it's worth seeing this. It's amazing, you know, what can happen. I would consider myself a total success today. I don't care about the years of drinking. I don't care about the consequences. I want to learn from them. Yeah. I don't want to remember them. But like you said, it's who I am that got me to where I am today. Yeah, and and it's it, a beautiful thing. That this story, this helps other people. You know, and that's kind of like when I was saying that, it was like, well, yeah, this all happened, and of course, there's probably a lot of you know things you might regret through through what you went through, but you came out positive on the other end and now you can use this as a vehicle to help other people yeah. to help them to even if, if they are addicted or if they don't understand addiction to see like this is where it all comes together like maybe all that time was put in to bring you to this yes you know what i mean and this is going to help other people so you can't i mean i'm sure you probably want to change some of it but you can't it's probably a good thing that you can't because obviously there's something great coming out of it yes so I, would, I would i had to have it all yeah had to have all that happen. Congratulations. You had it all. There you go. <laughs> uh, yeah, Dave, very cool. Great conversation. And I love how open you are about it. This kind of stuff, you know, I find is so, uh, well, it's so good for content, number one, to listen to, I think, to, to help people. But it's so good. I, I imagine how good you feel being able to say it all. Because when you're in it, it's hard to talk about it because you have a lot of shame behind it and stuff like that. And to be able to get past it and then actually say the stuff has to feel good. All that pain that was in there, I can't help but uh, throw out that it's all there for a reason and that you can get it back together. And who am I to not share this with somebody to say, you're not done. Mm. You know, it's not over. And you have to listen, you have to be willing to change. And it takes time. That's the one thing that I can't stand is time. <laughs> but it's all been worth it. And I don't want anybody to just give up or say that I can't do this. Definitely. And you seem like you're full of life now with what you're doing, you know, with Fox Chapel Ironworks and what you're doing. Like this is like your true life's passion. Not that you didn't enjoy the jobs you had before because they were paying well. But they were high stress and they probably weren't like your your purpose you know you're probably closer to your purpose right. now than you ever were it, it's as stressful as any job i've ever had but when i wake up in the morning i embrace another new creative design or another new twist and challenge that i've never built before or tried to pull off let's go right you know and that day may suck and it may all go backwards and i tear it all apart or repaint or whatever but in the end i know i'm going to make somebody happy and uh, you know it's truly amazing te teaching my son this trade he's embraced it he's worked with me the past year it's so fulfilling to have to be able to see him back and watch him do his stuff and he's got a road to go you know it took me years of watching my father to learn metal the way i learned it but he is on such a good path with it it's just so neat and how the community comes in and wants to see our stuff and you know i'm doing okay financially too you know, it's amazing for Little Wild Tuna, how much we're able to do with this art business and yeah. teaching. I love seeing people light up, learning how to work at 6,000 degree weld puddle and, you know, seeing steel red hot. And, you know, some people are jumping back and a little intimidated, but yeah. it's so cool. Our classes are so fun. 
people that have never been around this stuff have been around it all my life, but they get exposed to how to make metal do what you want it to do. Yeah, it's pretty badass. Like it's to fun. see what how you can create what you created. If you haven't seen Dave's work, by the way, just look uh, Fox Chapel Ironworks on Facebook, right? Yes. Find you on there. Fox Chapel Iron and then FoxChapelIronworks.com website. Very cool, man. And uh, so this is coming up Sunday, March 29th, 6 until 8 p.m. It's free. It's open to the public. Donations are accepted. Art for Recovery, the live viewing party. And uh, that's going to be all donations split between the Arts Altoona Center and the Circle of Hope Project. It's going to be at the Arts Altoona Center, 2212 Sixth Avenue in Altoona. And that is, uh, that's the grand opening for their new venue, right? For the Arts Altoona Center. They right. were using your event as like their kickoff. There you go. It's the old Simpson uh, Temple yes. building in Altoona. Right. Very cool. Dave, thank you so much. Thank you, Rob. This is awesome. This is Rob Z Radio.